Now, if you'll turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 5, your phones, your iPads, however you read the Bible there. This message is called Every Great Father. Uh, And I want to talk about fatherhood, just an encouraging word, just talking about the importance of being a father and just some things about what the Bible says about it. This is Ephesians 5. This is actually a text about marriage, but it's a very important text. And beginning in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any, any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. So the, the role of a husband, the singular role of a husband is to be Christ-like. And it says here that just love your wives just as Christ loved the church beyond your family history, beyond your personality, beyond how your friends treat their wives or beyond what you see television, the movies, husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And that requires a, a very specific you know, goal that we have as husbands to say, I don't just want to be a good husband. I want to be a Christ-like husband. But you notice here, it says husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church, not as Jesus loved the church. Now, Jesus was his common name, but Christ was his title. And the word Christ means anointed one. Anoint means to smear with oil. That's what it means. And so Jesus, it says, love your wives as the anointed one loves the church, smeared with oil. So there's a significance of the word anointing here, twofold significance And the first thing that anointing represents, if you're going to be a Christ-like husband or father, is it represents the glory of God. Now, today, you know, at the altar rail or if we're praying for someone and we anoint them with oil, according to the book of James, if we anoint a person with oil, you know, we take a little oil and put it on their forehead and pray for them. In the Old Testament, they would take a horn or a flask of oil and turn it upside down over your head. And they would douse you with it. Psalm 133 says it's like oil upon the head, even Aaron's head down on his beard, even down on the edge of his garment. So they weren't polite about it. They just doused you with oil. And when they were finished, you shine, you would shine. And that represents the shining represents the glory of God. Now, here's an interesting scripture in 1 Corinthians 11, talking about men and women. For indeed, a man ought not to cover his head. This is talking about authority. Since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. That men are the glory of God, but women are the glory of men. Let me paraphrase that. Men reflect the character of the God they choose, and women reflect the character of the husband they choose. If a man's God is money, if a man's God is some false God, or if a man's God is Jesus Christ, they reflect that. Their character reflects that. But women are very sensitive to the character of their husbands. Now, as a young man in my early 20s, I was a terrible husband. And uh, I didn't like the scripture. I read this scripture one day and I thought, Karen is not my glory. Karen, Karen does not reflect my character. And Karen always treated me better than I deserved. She was a better wife than I was a husband. But I didn't get the response from her that I was looking for. And I honestly thought as a young husband, I'm Mr. Wonderful. I accidentally married the devil's ex-wife, you know. <laughs> Who knew? And, uh, you know, she's the problem. I'm not her problem. She's the problem. But here's what happened. When I changed, I repented for being, I was a bad husband. And we almost divorced. But when I changed and my character changed, Karen blossomed like a rose. 
the response I never got by being a macho idiot. And that's what I was. The response I never got, I got when I changed and became Christ-like. Karen reflected, she was reflecting my character back to me. This is what the scripture is saying. But there's also a scripture in Proverbs 17, 6, and here's what it says. Children's children are the crown of old men, and the glory of children is their father. And so children reflect. We reflect. We should reflect God's character and nature to them. God came to Adam and Eve, and he put his image on them, and then he commanded them to multiply. The first responsibility of every father is to be an image bearer of God to his children. We, we, we reflect the image of God to our children. That's what we're supposed to do. And if we do it properly, they reflect that. If we do it improperly, however, they reflect that also. And let me tell you what I'm not saying in that because I'm going to give you a couple of examples. I'm not saying that everything that our children do wrong is our fault because the Bible says foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Children rebel and they do bad things. Not every bad thing a child does is the fault of his father or mother, but who children ultimately become is more based on their parents than any other thing. And this is what this is saying. So let me, let me give you an illustration of that. There's a man in the congregation here, and he and his wife raised their children wonderfully, great parents. Um, and their children grew up, but their son in his 20s rebelled and went into a very sinful lifestyle. And when the son went into this sinful lifestyle, he pressured his parents to accept that lifestyle. And they did two things. They never accepted the lifestyle and they never rejected their son. They loved their son, they accepted their son, but they would not agree with his lifestyle. And they prayed for him very diligently. And about you know seven or eight years later, he repented, came back to the Lord, and he's been back with the Lord many years. The family was restored. Proverbs 20, uh, 22.6 says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he was old, he will not depart from it. We train up our children, and they have bad days, they do things wrong, and that, that's not our fault as parents. Our, our responsibility is to train them up as good as we can. But it says, when they get old, that doesn't mean 75. Somebody say, me pray to the Lord. Yeah. It means when they mature. Train up a child in the way that they should go, and when they mature, they'll come back to the way you train them. Well, some kids, young people, mature at 17 or 18, but others, it may be 29 or 30. But the promise here is if you put it in them, God will bring it back to them. Let me give you a couple of examples of children being the glory of their fathers. There was a, a man named Paul Vitz who authored a book called Faith of the Fatherless. Um, and he was an atheist until his 30s. And he wondered if there was a psychological connection between atheism and family history. He was an atheist. And he was wondering, do other atheists have a connection with their past? And he discovered that atheists, famous atheists, have one thing in common. Defective, relationship, defective relationships with their fathers who were either, either dead, abusive, weak, absent, or who abandoned them. Friedrich, Friedrich Nietzsche, who coined the phrase, God is dead, his father was a pastor and he died before his fifth birthday and he also influenced Adolf Hitler and the Columbine killers. That was one example. Sigmund Freud, who is an atheist and the father of modern psychiatry, he despised his Jewish father who was a weak man and perverted and unable to provide for his family. Bertrand Russell, his father died when he was four years old. He was raised by a puritanical grandmother. David Hume, his father died when he was two years old. John Paul Sauter, his father died when he was 15 months old. And Voltaire, who was a deist, hated his father so much that he changed his name. So here's, here's what I'm saying. What he documents in his book is 
When you see an atheist, many atheists will present themselves as intellectuals. And they'll say, you know something, I've just been reasoning, and in my great, huge mind, I have just reasoned that there is no God. They're not intellectuals, they're hurting children. He's saying here, the reason that they have a problem with God is because they had a problem with their fathers. Okay? And if you have children, or if you're a child that had problems with your father, your father died, you're not doomed. But with our children... If there are problems like that, we need to help them to forgive their fathers and disassociate human behavior from God's behavior. Because God is God regardless of who our fathers are. But he's showing here in a negative way these children who became atheists were the glory of their fathers in a negative way. Here's another example. Jonathan Edwards versus Max Jukes. There was a book that was written, released in 1900. It was called A Study in Education and Heredity by A.E. Winship, and he looked at two men, the lives of two men, Jonathan Edwards and Max Jukes. Jonathan Edwards lived in the 18th century. He entered Yale College at the age of 12 and graduated with honors. He became a pastor, and his sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, started the Great Awakening. It was a revival involving numerous preachers with swept America, and he also became president of Princeton College. And in the book, the, A Study of Education and Heredity, they uh, researched the descendants of, of Jonathan and Sarah Edwards, and here's what they found. Of their descendants, there was one U.S. vice president, three United States senators, three governors, th- three mayors, 13 college presidents, 30 judges, 65 professors, 80 public office holders, 100 lawyers, and 100 missionaries of one family, of one couple. They're their descendants. In the same book, they also examined a man named Max Jukes. He was born around the year 1720. He was a hard drinker, lazy, ungodly, and uneducated. In 1877, while visiting New York's prisons, Richard Dugdale found inmates with 42 different last names, all descending from Max Jukes. Of his descendants, there were seven murderers, 60 thieves, 50 women of ill repute, 130 other convicts, 310 paupers who combined spent 2,300 years living in poor houses and 400 others who were physically ruined by indulgent living. And his descendants cost the state of New York many millions of dollars. And so you can see the power of fathering and mothering in this right here, the power of a parent. And the Bible says that children are our glory. And what that means is ultimately who our children become is more dependent on us as parents than anybody else. And you can see it in these studies right here. There's another thing that anointing represents. It, anoint, it represents the glory of God, but it also represents three Old Testament offices that were fulfilled in Jesus, prophet, priest, and king. Those were the three offices in the Old Testament that were connected with anointing. And Jesus was the ultimate prophet, the ultimate priest, and the ultimate king. Let me talk about these for just a minute. A prophet is responsible for accurately and faithfully delivering God's word. A priest, they were intercessors between God and man to solve problems, minister comfort, and to reconcile relationships. And a king was appointed by God to rule over the people as his representative. And here's how Jesus fulfilled all three offices of prophet, priest, and king. As the prophet, Jesus was the incarnate word of God. In Matthew 4, 4, he said the word of God was more important than eating. He lived the word before us and told us what God had to say. As a priest, Jesus healed sick people and compassionately compassionately did miracles. 
He even sacrificed his own life to make things right with God. He still intercedes for us before God. He is a sensitive and sacrificial priest. As a king, Jesus was a gentle and humble authority figure who washed feet and related on a personal level. His authority was different. It was for the benefit of others and not self. So as it relates to being a father, here's a summary of what it means to be a prophet, priest, and king as a father. A prophet is a man who diligently seeks to hear God's voice and know God's word for the benefit of his family. This includes living a life consistent with scriptural standards and values. It doesn't mean being perfect. It doesn't mean being legalistic or anything like that. It just means I'm a man of the word. If I'm going to be the prophet to my children and to my wife, it means I've got to be a man of the word. And here's what Ephesians 5 says. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Listen, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with a washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church. Why does Jesus wash us in the word so that we will be the glorious church we're supposed to be? Why do we minister the word of God in our homes so our wife and children can be the people that God made them to be? Sin destroys, the word of God glorifies. And so we're supposed to be the prophets of our home, Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God uh, is one, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of on your house and on your gates. And so God clearly gives the responsibility of training children to the parents, training them up in the word. And it said, bind, bind the word of God on your hand, on your forehead, and the door of your house. And here's what that means. Everything I do, everything I think, and everything that comes in my house is based on the word of God. Parents are the doorkeepers of the home. See, my responsibility as a father is to be the doorkeeper of my home. Everything that comes into my child's life has to pass through me before it comes to them. And so this, this is the way we raise our children. Julie, our daughter, she's 44 years old now, but when she was about 17 years old, uh, she had a, a boyfriend that I liked as much as you can like your daughter's boyfriend. And he was okay. And so one day I heard that Julie broke up with her, uh, her boyfriend and she was going to go out with another boy that we did not like at all. And so that night I said, Hey, Julie, I said, come here a minute. So Julie came up and I said, Hey, I heard that you broke up with your boyfriend. She said, yeah, I did that. And I said, well, that's your own business. If you want to break up with your boyfriend, that's fine. I said, I also heard you're going to go out with this other boy. And she said, yeah, yeah. He asked me out and I said, over my dead body, <laughs> you'll never go out with that boy. He's not a good boy. Five minutes later, she went back with her other boyfriend. So that problem was solved. There was a story of a boy that went to pick his girlfriend up for her first date. And he went up to the front door and he knocked on the door and she came to the door. And, and uh, so she said, because this is our first date, you need to talk to my dad. And uh, he said, okay. She said, my, dad, my dad's back there in the den. So he went back to the den and the father was sitting in his chair holding a baseball bat. And the boy walked in, the boy walked in and said, hello, sir. He said, sit down. So the boy sat down and he had the rules for dating his daughter written on the baseball bat. And the boy sat down and he said, these are the rules for dating my daughter. He said, you'll have her home at 1030 sharp or before. You will be kind to her and treat her with respect. You won't take her 
to bad places or around bad people. And he just kept reading the rules off this baseball bat. He said, do you understand my rules, boy? He said, yes, sir. He said, you agree to him? You're going you're gonna to keep him? He said, yes, sir. So they went out. Had a good first date. So the next week he came back to pick her up for a second date. Uh, he came to the door and she was all ready. And he said, before we go out, could I talk to your dad for just a minute? She said, yeah, he's back there in the den. So he, the boy walked back there in the den and said, sir, could I say something to you for just a minute? Father said, what? He said, well, I need to ask a favor from you. He said, my sister has a date tomorrow night. My dad wants to borrow your bat. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Bat sales are going up this week, I'm predicting. So our son Brent, um, music, entertainment, friends, everything came through dad, mom and dad. And Brent, uh, in his room, uh, he had posters, sports posters, Troy Aikman, Emmett Smith, Michael Jordan, um, you know, just different people like that. And I was up in his room one time, and he had a sports poster of a guy that, a uh, bad guy, very immoral, very rebellious. And I, went, I said to Brent, I said, he's not your role model, never. Guys like that are not role models for you. I said, all the other guys, they're great. You take that one down. I throw it away, tore it up, throw it away. Well, so that might seem a little severe for some people, but let me tell you a story. So I was, when I first became a pastor, um, I was at church one day and my assistant came in my office and she said, Pastor Jimmy, there's a, there's a man on the phone and he's saying there's something evil in their home and he wants you to come get it out. I thought, well, hmm, that's interesting. And uh, so probably wasn't the smartest thing I ever did, but I went over there by myself to that house. And uh, I went up the door and knocked on the door. And um, he came to the door, very nice man, not a believer. None of the family were believers. He knew someone who went to our church, and that's how he found out about me. So I went in the home. His wife was there. His children were there. I said, there's something evil in your home? He said, there's something evil in our home, and we want you to get it out of here. And I said, well, how long has it been here? He said, two weeks. He said, two weeks. We've been having nightmares. Bad things have been happening around here. It never happened before. He said, two weeks, something evil's in our home. I said, well, do you mind if I walk through your home? He said, no, not at all. So I walked through the living room and through the, down to the master bedroom. You know, and I was praying in the spirit, and I didn't sense anything. I came to the other side of the house, the kids' bedrooms, and they had about a 14-, 15-year-old daughter. And I went into her bedroom, and that's where it was. It, there was just my hair on the back of my neck stood up. There was something evil in there. Well, she had this poster on her wall, this evil poster of some rock group. It had a satanic star on it. It had all this bad stuff on it. And I said, honey, how long have you had that poster? She said, my friend gave it to me two weeks ago. And I said, would you mind taking that off your wall? Because we're going to tear it up and throw it away. And she took it off of her wall, and, and I joined with the family. And I led all that family to the Lord that day. They all came to Jesus. So, but... And we prayed, listen, the unbelievers, we prayed. I prayed over their home and I prayed with them. And they said, it's gone. See, and what I said to them is I said, y'all, y'all, you know, you're good people. But you know, demons can attach themselves to objects. You know, they can attach themselves to those evil pictures or books or, you know, tarot cards, you know, Ouija boards, you know, uh, Patriots jerseys. Uh, <laughs> I snuck up on you on that one. I couldn't wait. Okay. So as men, we're the, we're the prophets of our home. Okay. Second is priest. A priest 
is a man who sensitively and sacrificially meets his child's needs and helps, helps him or her deal with spiritual, emotional, relational, and personal issues. This is Ephesians 5. Husbands also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. We're priests. We know just like you take care of your body, you take care of your wife and your children. This is Psalm 103. The Lord is merciful and gracious. Aren't you glad our God is merciful and gracious? Slow to anger and abounding in mercy. I'm going to talk to you more in July about this. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens, uh, heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children. So the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to such as keep his covenant, and to those who remember his commandments and do them. Being, being a father is being a pastor. And, and loving and pastoring our children. This was my weakest area. I was a natural king. I was a lousy priest when our kids were little. And so the Bible tells us in Hebrews 4 that we have a sympathetic high priest in Jesus. And that we can come boldly to the throne of grace. The word boldly means frank speech. When the Bible says come boldly before the throne of grace, what it means is we can, you can say anything to God. He knows, it. he knows what you're going through anyway. Nothing is going to be a surprise. Let me say this another way. The safest person in your life is Jesus Christ. He, he is merciful and gracious. It says he's tempted. You know, you don't want to be around self-righteous people because you think, well, the other day I had this thought. And they go, oh, yuck, let me pray for you. <laughs> they had the same thought. You know, we go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm going through this. He said, I went through that. Now, I did it successfully, but I went through that and I know what it's like. We don't have a self-righteous God up in heaven looking down his nose at us. We have a friend in heaven named Jesus. And one of our goals, Karen and I both, were our goals was we wanted to be our children's safe place. They could say anything to us and we weren't going to come down on them. We, weren't, we, want, we want you to come and talk to us if you're struggling or if you've done something. We want to be your safe place and we're going to, minister, we're going to pastor you through it. We're not just going to be an exalted prophet or an exalted king and come down on you all the time. We want to love you and pastor you through everything that you go through. A king is a man who is the servant leader of his home. He is the initiator of decision-making and problem-solving, but without dominance. Jesus was a different kind of a king. Ephesians 5, the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ. So let their wives be to their own husbands everything. Let me first of all say men and women are equals. Men, men are not better than women or uh, women are not better than men. We're equals. But women want their husbands to be the loving initiator of the well-being of the home and family without dominance. They want to be treated as an equal. When it says here, let the wives be to their subject, their husbands and everything, it means don't act without your husband any more than the church would act without Jesus. Your partners, you need each other. 
And the husband is supposed to be the loving initiator. See, Jesus is a wonderful king. No one minds Jesus being their Lord if they really know Jesus. Because he isn't a dominator. He isn't a taskmaster. He's a loving loving king. Children need rules and structure. But they need it in the context of relationship. This is Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. When it says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, what provokes children to anger is non-relational authority. Barking at them, putting rules on them without relationship. Children need a prophet in the home. Some, someone who seeks out the word of God, someone who teaches them the word of God. They need a priest who loves them and ministers them and is affectionate with them and accepts them. And they need a king, someone who brings structure into the home and someone who keeps order within the home. And so over, let me talk about overcoming the problems with these. And the first is every man has an inclination to one or two, but not all three. Most, most men, I'm, I'm, a, I'm just a natural king. You know, it was easy for me to be the boss. I was not a natural priest. One of the reasons is because my father wasn't. I never, I never saw it, okay? And so it was natural. If you're a prophet but not a priest, it means you can be harsh and perform, performance-oriented and demanding. If you're a priest but not a king, it means you can be sweet but weak. If you're a king but not a priest, it means you could be dominant and sensitive, demanding, and selfish. Most men are, are good at one or the other, but they're not good at all three. And so when... Uh, our kids were young. Brent was four. I think Julie was seven. We were trying to take a family photo, photograph one day, and Brent was acting up. The photographer was telling us what to do, and Brent wouldn't do it. And I said, hey, Brent, I tapped him on the shoulder. I said, hey, Brent, do what the photographer says. And he gave me that look like, we're in public, Dad. You're not the boss right now. So I said, Karen, do you have the spoons? We, we spanked our kids sometimes. We had a little wooden spoon with flowers on it. And so... Uh, I said, Karen, do you have the spoon? And she said, yeah. And I asked the photographer, I said, can I use that room right over there? He said, yeah. I said, come on, Brent. So I pulled Brent in there. And so I gave him a couple of swats on his bottom and took him in my lap, told him I loved him, told him I forgave him, prayed for him, loved on him. And that was it. That's the way we discipline. Okay. And that's not the only discipline that we used. We, you know, used other forms of discipline. But sometimes when we spanked, that's how we did it. So I just gave him a couple of swats hard enough to hurt his feelings. So we went back out there. I told him to apologize. I want you to apologize to the photographer now because you've been disrespectful to him. So Brent went out and uh, apologized to the photographer. This photographer said, Mr. Evans, I've done this for 35 years. And I just want to say thank you. <laughs> Can you imagine what that man had been through? I was a prophet to Brent. I was telling him to respect authority. I was a priest to Brent. I forgave him and loved him and gave him affection. And I was a king to Brent who brought some structure in his life. Our children need all three. Let me, let me talk about how to become all three. And the first is just admit what you're not. There's something probably that doesn't come natural to you, either because of your personality or maybe because of your background. And so you just, I'm not a good thing at this. The second thing that we need to do to become all three is to forgive our dads if, if they weren't very good and to break the iniquity. And iniquity means a tendency toward a sin. My dad was a natural king, just like I am. He was not a, not a priest at all. Never a part of my life in any way. And so I, I broke that iniquity. over. I forgave my father. He became a wonderful man once he accepted Christ. But I forgave him, but I broke the iniquity. 
over my life of being a distracted man and not loving my children properly. The third is submit, submit to the Holy Spirit and ask him to help you. Jesus said in John 16, 13, the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. So whatever it is that you're needing, the Holy Spirit can help you become what you're not. And this, this next one is a big one. Ask your wife to help you. You know, go to your wife and say, honey, prophet, priest, and king, where do you think I'm good? Where do you think I'm bad? And you know she'll tell you the truth, <laughs> you know. But Karen has always been very good for me of helping me to know, Jimmy, the kids are hurting, and this is what they need from you, or whatever. Women are so sensitive and so incredibly relational and such a help to every man. Your, your wife will help you. And here's another one that's very important. Find godly male role models to help you. When I was a young father, I just struggled. I mean, I, my heart was not turned toward my children. It really wasn't. I mean, I, I'd say that, but it wasn't. And uh, I just wasn't a very good father. And uh, Tom Lane helped me more than anybody else. Tom and I have been best friends for 40 years. And when our kids were very little, I remember being around Tom and watching him. He was the best priest I'd ever, as, as a father I'd ever seen. I'd never seen anyone love his children the way Tom loved his children. Affection and attention and, you know, just being so sensitive to them. And it, 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 helped, it put me under conviction, but it also helped me. And it gave, women learn by talking to each other. Men learn by watching each other. And when you find a man who is better in an area than you, watch him, talk to him, help him to, help him to mentor you or something like that. But those are some of the ways that you can be father, a, a better father. Let me say this. Thank God for fathers and the power of fathers. But our children are our glory. We need to remember that. They're reflecting back to us, you know, sometimes what we're doing and who we are and what they need is a Christ-like father in the home who is a prophet, a priest, and a king. And when we, when we are those kinds of fathers and those kinds of men, our wives and our children will flourish because we'll become Christ-like.